Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Intercry Ministries podcast. We hope today's teaching equips you for your walk and your maturing in faith. Our prayer is also that this would inspire you to be more and more like Jesus. Thanks for listening. And so what God wants us to understand is what faith really means. What is the difference between grace and faith? The reason it's so important in this hour, and I believe what's coming, is that God wants to engage you and your faith on a level that you cannot look back over your shoulder and define it anymore. So whatever's in front of you, there's nothing behind you that is going to help you to understand it. Because it is faith, which means it's something you have yet to see. Hello? But the truth is, is that you and I, we look over our shoulder and try to frame what's in front of us so that we feel comfortable with where we're going. And you delineate, for lack of, or dilute, that's probably a better word, you dilute what's coming. And God wants you to raise the bar of expectation in your personal life. Do you hear what I'm saying? The bar is so low with us. And what God's done in you in the last two years is the kind of faith that can say to the mountain, move to the sea, and it can move. You just have to understand the source of your faith and the power that is available to us now. It's available. But sourcing it is very unique. So I've been teaching slowly so that we don't miss what really is in the word about faith and grace. So it's kind of important as we systematically go through this process that we hang our true understanding and wisdom and insight on the right words and the right scriptures. So a review, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. When we started, we covered the gift, the charis, the Greek word, what it meant to be the gift both a gift from God and a gift from man to God, and the gift from man to God was established by Christ. Grace is clearly the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. And faith is assurance, trust, belief, leaning on God, resting in him. So faith starts with rest. One cannot easily discern the difference between striving to please God and active faith until one has truly entered the faith of resting in God's finished work. And y'all have heard me, who've been with me the last six weeks, we were teaching that faith is assurance in God himself. And we made the chair God's grace, if you remember. And when I would sit down, I would say, this is my act of faith. This chair, my faith is in the chair, not in my faith or my faithfulness to sit down. My faith is trusting in this chair. I did not think in my mind that it would collapse, not once. Even when I sat down, there was no fear 
There was no anxiety, no concern, not one ounce of concern that this stool would collapse. Am I, am I basing that on my ability to believe in the chair or the chair's stability? You see, the, the chair's stability is what assures me. The chair's solid foundation gives me assurance. So the indictment against us is that we have no faith. And so we talked about it, that that, is not, that should not shut you down because that just means that you don't understand the chair. It does not mean that something is wrong with you or with your faith. It just means that you're not sure about this, the grace that has been given to you. Okay? That was part of our foundation. So sitting and resting is the key. And why would I rest? I would rest because I know I can trust in the Lord. Amen? For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their own works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. Tonight I underlined make every effort because that is so important. If you remember my teachings in the second week, the striving should be to strive to rest instead of striving to be perfect, striving to somehow make God happy, striving to make myself better so that I'm acceptable to God and to the church. No, 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 no. I'm striving to enter the rest. I have to work at the effort of trusting only in God and resting in his finished work. Everybody walking with me now? We've got a bunch of new folks, so I'm just trying to take them along with us, folks. Faith in him and his promises to me. It's an important statement. There's a lot of words there. It's not just a phrase. Every word in there means something. Notice, faith in him, not in me, and his promises to me. So it's not just about God, but it's about who God is to me and what he's intending to do in me. They're tandem together. Who he is is also being established in me. Therefore, the greatest promise is that I will become like Jesus, fully, completely. Abraham was declared by God righteous because he had faith, not in his own faithfulness, but in God's fulfillment of his promise. A 27-year journey to the revelation of his son that was promised. 27 years of God saying, turn left, okay, going left. Turn right, okay, going right. But what, what, what did we learn about that? That Abraham was not so faithful to doing it correctly, but he never wavered in his faith in God. And in that 27 years, he learned the rhythm of trust. He learned the rhythm of God's favor. He learned the rhythm 
of when he made a mistake, how God, because his favor, because of his trust, even when he made a mistake, the Lord fixed it. Hello? When he lied about his wife, hello? Pharaoh took his wife, but then God brought a curse on Pharaoh's entire house. And he was like, okay, I don't know what you did, but here, take everything that Egypt has and get out. So in the midst of a horrible mistake by lying, right? Because his heart was towards the Lord and listening to him. And he's in Egypt because he said yes to the Lord's promise. Are you hearing me? He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he lies and God goes, I got this because you're making every effort to say yes. And that's the part that we miss sometimes. Trusting in the promise. But you need the knowledge of who Jesus is to know where to trust and when to lean on God. If we don't understand the scriptures as they relate to who you are in him, then it's hard to latch your faith onto it. If you don't understand what God says about you or what he has done already, completed for you, then it's hard to latch on to it. You see, within your being is the ability to totally be transformed by just trust. Do you know that? Like God has hardwired you and put his spirit within you so that trust will produce the life and the character of Jesus Christ without you having to figure that all out. You see, that's what faith is. And see, when I made that statement based on our previous teachings, that changes some things in some of you, doesn't it? Well, let's take it a whole nother step. Uh Uh-oh. We went from testing um, from doubt to faith, right? This was... Last week, last week we taught on testing, doubt from faith, okay? Now, that's really important about this tonight because the message picks up when this left off. And that was to doubt is part of our journey. Thomas doubted that Jesus was truly resurrected. He had to stick his hand in the hole. And he doubted. I was a doubting Thomas when I first got saved. I was constantly raising my hand in Bible school. I don't don't understand. I was always asking the hard questions. Sometimes I was the humor of the class because I would ask the most ridiculous questions. Why? Because I just didn't want to take things at face value. I I was going to stand before God by myself, and he wasn't going to say, hey, your Bible teacher taught you the wrong thing. He was going to say, hey, you're accountable for what I gave you. Well, well, he, but that Bible teacher taught me all this. So I was like, no, I'm sober. I'm going to ask all the questions. However, doubt that leads me to saying something with God and then wavering with it is a different kind of issue. Notice, if any of you lacks wisdom, this is James 1, 2 through 8. And this is important because James kind of comes across as like black and white. 
of which is fascinating, and that's another story. This is Jesus' brother. He grew up with him, and many of the Sanhedrin, after Jesus died, came to the Lord because of James' life. That's how radical he was. And they killed him at the temple because he was preaching the gospel and he was up on a podium and they'd already warned him and either they hit him upside the head with an axe handle while he was preaching on top of the podium or when he fell off they hit him and killed him because they said if they didn't he would have led all of the Pharisees to the Lord because of his faith. So we don't want to throw out this epistle by the way. It's a good one. However, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's really strong. (laughs) Ouch. And if that's an indictment on your faith tonight, well, guess what? That's a good thing. You know why it's a good thing? You found out tonight that you're double-minded. And I'm gonna share some things with you that will help you to go from double-minded to single focus. And it's really simple. See, if you read James, you read almost like an indictment that this is it for you. You're double-minded and you're stuck there. No. Think about it. Before you came to Jesus, we were all pretty double-minded. We were all messed up. Well, let me just leave you all out. I was really messed up before Jesus got a hold of me. And we still, I'm a work in progress. I'm not there yet, but I'm on the way. So here's the deal. The answer to becoming single-minded is getting to the root of our faith. So, where does faith come from? Where does faith come from? Does it come from you? Do you muster it up? If you've been listening the last few weeks, I've commented on this a couple times, but just commented, not taught on it. Does faith come from you? No. No, faith doesn't come from you. It's very interesting how faith is established in us and then how faith is increased. If we learn that and we know, okay, wait. So what we're looking at with James is James is saying that if you go into something with faith but come out doubting, that's double-mindedness. But what that really is saying is, is that when I went into the situation, I went in with not enough faith. And I tackled something that I thought I was ready to tackle, but really didn't understand faith at all and probably went in there empty-handed. And once the persecution and the difficulty and the trial came, I was like, okay, well, we're out. I'm out on whatever this is. I'm good. Anyone ever feel that? Like jumped into something? Lord, I believe. And then you get in there and you're like, oh, that's not quite going to turn out the way I thought it was. Well, remember with Abraham. Abraham did not waver in his belief that God would fulfill, but he wavered in his decisions and how that would come about. Hello? Here we go. Now faith is being sure. Being sure. Everybody say being sure. So 
faith is being sure. If, if we understand that faith is being sure, if I step into something and I'm not sure yet, I need to backtrack some. I need to go back and, 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 and establish a better base on something. And then it says being convinced of what we do not see. Wow, I'm completely convinced this is going to happen. Ever do that? And then it does? If you've done that, raise your hand. Like you've had a moment in time when you like knew. This, I, I don't know why, but I'm just telling you, this is going to happen. That's the kind of faith we're talking about. But Jesus was able to walk up to a fig tree and say, you're done. And it died. And then a few days later, he took it to a whole nother level. Lazarus is dead for four days in the tomb. Now, if you know anything about Jewish tradition, four days, that means the soul has already left the body. It also means it was, yeah, we won't even talk about that. But the people said, don't roll the stone away because it's been four days. You know what they meant. Uh-uh. And he said, no, 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 roll it away. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. Very important. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember that statement with what we're about to see. Consequently, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes from through the preaching word of Christ, preached word of Christ. Wow. Wow. It comes from the word. So my faith comes from the word. And last week we talked about the word. Big W is Jesus, right? So the word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. And in the men's meeting Wednesday night, we talked about this. That the spoken words of promises and prophecies and the word in which came to Moses himself, first in a burning bush and then in person, Jesus at the time, the theophany, was expressing himself to Moses, to Abraham. He sat with Abraham and ate with him. Amen? He took him outside and said, look, Abraham, you see these stars? I'm going to make you as numerous as these. There was a personal relationship, but these were promises to everyone in Israel. And then that word, that word that had been spoken for thousands of years was now in human form. He came and he dwelt among us and we knew him and we touched him and we saw him and we lived with him daily. And then he left and then in John chapter 16, Jesus promises us that the Spirit now has the full authority of everything that Jesus was given. And like Jesus when he was here, the Spirit now living in you will speak what he hears and do what he sees in you. Fully, completely, without reservation. That's what he's waiting to do in each and every one of us. Meaning that the spoken word who became God incarnate, the word incarnate, is now living in you. Living in you. The living word is in you. 
in your spirit man in full and perfect form in your spirit. Don't forget, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. The spirit in you is the spirit of the Lord. Fully, not partial. You don't have a fragment and you're waiting for the other fragment. You don't have a piece of Jesus and when you get to the other end of this, you get another piece of Jesus. No, no, no. You have everything that you need. Remember, we talked about First Peter when he says that all that you need to be godly has already been given to you in your spirit. Amen? We must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. I love this. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. If you look at this in the Greek, it was then and is now. In other words, he perfected it. It's ongoing in you, perfecter of our faith. He's doing that perfection in you. It was completed in him and in his person. And because your spirit man has that full perfection of faith in it, that your body and your soul are being brought into alignment with what your spirit man is fully and completely in line with. The perfection of your faith is getting your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions to line up with the fullness of who God is because he perfected faith and he is the pioneer of it, he did that so that you and I would fully and completely engage our faith and walk and become just like Christ. Christ-like. Christian. That's what it means. Really, it's become something else. And we should go back to the first century church which said they call themselves the people of the way. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? No one comes to the Father except for by me. The way to the Father was Jesus. And so it is so essential for us to find the way which is inside of us. You see, the church is looking outside for something. We're still doing like Eve was doing in the garden. We're still looking for something outside of us to complete us. Whether it's a pill, a diet, a friend, a TV show, another good book, we're still looking out to be fulfilled within. We want to get married if we're single. We want to be divorced if we're married. It's something that has to happen outside of me to make me better inside of me. Two young people who are about to get married and think the other person is going to complete them. If you're looking to that person to fill something in you, you missed it. And it's okay. Everybody does. But what you will learn is that God has called you to love one another and that love is selfless. So you will learn through your relationship with the most important person in your life besides Jesus what it means to give. 
And that is the perfection of your faith. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. We love all these, but did you see that one? Faithfulness. What? What did I ask you earlier? Where does your faith come from? Hello? Do you know that word right there? They translate it faithfulness, but it comes, it is the exact same word in Hebrews chapter one when it says faith is this. It, the, the, the Greek word is the same word. So it should be just translated faith. But the way it is in the sentence, they put it as faithfulness in English. But it is faith. It is faith. Where does your faith come from? From the spirit living inside of me. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Who is what? Whoa, let's go back. Maybe not. Yes, there it is. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of God, I will walk in faith, but I'll also be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. Man, this is powerful, God. I wish somebody would have taught me this a few years ago. For this reason, we also, from the day we heard about you, this is a prayer. By the way, this is Colossians. Paul wrote this, and this is a prayer to the Colossians church. He's telling them how wonderful and amazing they are and that he's been praying for them. Watch what he says, because this is really important. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, he tells them specifically how they've been praying for them. And in this are so many profound secrets to what you and I should be praying for ourselves and everyone we're influencing. Okay, so watch this. I've not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in the knowledge of God. You see, the key, if we go back to the second week of the teaching, is having knowledge of who he is and knowledge of the fulfillment of his will, which is to establish you just like him that you, the collective bride, would become perfect. Is that without sin? No. It won't happen until we leave this body. But the perfect bride is the bride who lives by complete faith in her bridegroom, knowing him. You see, a woman who knows her husband loves him well. If a woman or a man knows the heart of their, their mate, it's a deep, intimate relationship. The first sign of a possible divorce is when they begin to believe the wrong things about each other's hearts. So what God is saying to you as the bride, here is his will, that you know him and believe in him. How do I know that? First John 4. And this is the command of God, 
that you believe in the one who God sent and that you love one another as Christ loved you. So the will of God is to believe, to have faith in. The will of God is to believe. That word believe is the same word, faith. The will of God is to believe. Ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. Now, wisdom is having knowledge, but also knowing what to do with it. And understanding, like tonight, as we're coming to an understanding together in what God is asking us to do with what we've been given. Amen? And then he's saying this, so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, knowing, growing in the knowledge, in the knowledge, growing in the knowledge of God, you see, because that God lives in you. And when you get to know him, you begin to line up in your body, in your mind, in your will, and in your emotions. And then you start to look and sound and act like him. You see, because the power is already there like a big old case of dynamite waiting to explode within you and change you into who he is. And when we start to have faith in the God that lives within us, then we will start to step into it and start to live accordingly. We will make the sacrifices. We will step into the promises. We will step over the line that we've been scared to step over for years and when God gives us something to step into, we will not hesitate or be double-minded because we know who he is and we know who we are. <clears throat> this is the next part. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness joyful, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance. Wow. There's so much in that. I don't even, I mean, I could do a teaching on that alone, but watch this. To the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. You've been qualified. You've already been qualified. Because of what Jesus did and because of the fact that his spirit lives in you, you have already been qualified. Are you ready? Look at what he says now. He delivered us. Not you're delivering now. You will be delivered. No, 2,000 years ago, your deliverance happened. Your deliverance happened. And in your spirit, man, is your freedom. In, I'm going to say it again. In your spirit, man, is your freedom. Not in your pastor, not in your counselor, not in your teacher, although those are important. They are not your freedom. Your spirit, man, has your freedom in it. Watch this. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us. Both of those are past tense to the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see the key here, and I'm gonna get into this one next week as we close out this series. I'm going to talk about next week. I'm gonna lead into healing up to resurrection because we're gonna, we've established the foundation. Now we're gonna start talking about emotional, spiritual, and physical healing based on these truths that it is already yours. 
now, this Bible that you carry around, either in your phone or in your hand in a book, is the key. And the spirit that lives within you, because the spirit that lives within you wrote that book through precious people who sacrificed their life to see it happen. So when you read it, it stirs it. And when you stir it, it increases you in faith. So start reading your word with faith. Open your word and say, I'm ready, Holy Spirit. Make me into who you want me to be. This is what I pray. Some of you heard me. Those of you who are new tonight, let me just tell you right quick. When I was in seminary, they got us to be in, when you study the Bible for seminary, you study it in a critical way and it becomes just another book. And many people don't, they don't do well after seminary. It becomes cemetery. And I went through that process, but God was so gracious of me. What I learned though was that, uh, that when you study the Bible as just another book and you're trying to discover you establish a place of pride because your knowledge is from you or your perceived knowledge is perceived that you achieved it. But the kingdom of God is based upon revelation. The Bible says no one can come to God unless he is dragged by the Holy Spirit. Dragged, that's the word. They say drawn in the translation in the King James, but it's actually in the Greek, dragged. And the carnal mind is at enmity with God. He does not believe God is for him. He believes God is against him. So without the spirit of God, we don't come to these amazing conclusions on our own. The truth is, is that the spirit is teaching us at all times. If we will humble ourselves, and when we open our Bible, we expect for God to speak because his word already is alive in us. And stir that place up in you and say, God, I'm here to meet you. And start reading and let the Lord take you where he wants to take you. Keep you a notepad next by. And every time you get something, write it down. You'd be surprised later when you look at it. You know what? That was from God. And here's the other thing. When you start to stir up the knowledge of who he is, then the word that's in you starts to come out in a way you never thought it would come out before. Because now your faith is growing and now you start to operate in a place you'll pull stuff from years ago. One time my wife and I were talking here not too long ago and I said, um, I was talking about the four faces of God and she was like, why didn't you tell me that years ago? I was like, actually it was 1997 when I studied that. I don't remember it. And when you said something, it just sparked all that. And I was like, so it just comes from deep within. All the stuff you've ever heard or learned starts to come back up. And it comes back up at the right time because the spirit knows what to do with it. Study, chew on it, meditate on it. I do something simple. I, read, I listen to the Dwell app on the way somewhere. The Dwell app has all these neat voices from England and Africa and they're so cool and they sound so articulate and they don't have that country accent. They ought to get one just for me. <laughs> hey, wrote on this is your translation <laughs> so <laughs> if my wife was here I would be in so much trouble afterwards she'd be like what in the world was that um but anyway 
when you listen to the Dwell app, you ask the Lord to speak to you. Let it play. They have the one-year plan where you can listen to the whole Bible in a year. It takes 20 minutes to listen to one day's worth. And when I was working construction, I'd be driving there, and it'd come up, and it would pop up something out of it, and I would listen and go, oh, I never heard that before. And so all day at work, I'd pull it out and go, oh, that's really good. That's really good. Then go to the computer and look it up. What is that Greek word? Is that actually what that means? Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. What does that mean to my own life? Hmm, that means I need to change this. Probably need to stop operating like that. You see what I'm saying? Choo, 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 choo. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what he's asking the Lord to do for you. Tonight, I just pray the same thing over you, that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects. You realize that. You realize that, don't you? Like once your faith is up, then you start to become the knowledge. You start to become the wisdom. You start to become the understanding. You can revert back real quick, by the way. Just stop. And something happens and you stop reading, you stop studying, you stop praying, you start having encounters with the Lord and you go right back to the fleshly you. And it's easy for the enemy to say, see, this is who you really are. No, that's not who I really am. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So you just stay in that word and grow and grow and grow in who you are. And you see, it's not, as those of you who are new tonight, you didn't hear me, this is grace. Remember, when you're in that word, you're not striving to read the word so that you please God. You already please God. And that's why you're in the word. So you rest in that pleasure. You rest in that favor. And it makes you want to read the word. If God speaks to you, it makes you hungry for the word. I want more God. Because the word is Jesus. So when I read it, I find him. And I see him. And I understand him. And my love affair increases with him. And the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him. Hello? Change the little Presbyterian thing just a little bit. The Presbyterian said the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him. But I heard an author say it differently. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him. Let us enjoy the Lord. Amen. And let us, let us look at our faith like tonight when I said the double-mindedness, well, you should not expect anything. That's right. So tonight, let's just say this to each other. It's okay. Amen. Because now we know what to do. So let's pray. Well, we hope that you guys enjoyed this series on grace and faith. We would also love to hear what the Lord has shown you through this series. If you have any feedback for us or you would like to share something that God's done in your life, please go to our website at www.innercry.org 
click on contact, and we would love to hear a testimony of the finished work in your life. You can also give, support the podcast and our ministry here in Foley, Alabama by clicking on give. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.